Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Nicholas Goralka and Susan Jabinski discuss newly rated funds from Morningstar's analysts. Ben Johnson discusses ETFs for your IRA. Christine Ben shares her February financial to-do list. And David Harrell and Dave Sequeira share their insights into dividend stocks. Let's get started. Here are Nick Goralka from Morningstar Research Services and Susan Jabinski from Morningstar, Inc. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Morningstar's manager research team maintains a list of up-and-coming and under-the-radar strategies that they call Morningstar Prospects. Joining me today to discuss four prospects that have just recently come under full coverage is Nick Goralka. Nick is an analyst with Morningstar's manager research team. He's also the editor of the semi-annual Prospects Report. Nice to see you today, Nick. Thank you for having me, Susan. So let's start out with a little bit of background on how the team selects strategies to include on the prospects list. Sure. So as you mentioned, uh, the prospects list is a list of up and coming or under the radar strategies, uh, which inherently means it can be difficult to find uh, strategies that fall under those parameters. So we do have, uh, the manager research team does have uh, some filterable qualities that they like to look for in strategies that do receive full coverage. So for example, they might look for uh, strategies that receive Morningstar quantitative ratings of gold, or perhaps strategies that have very good manager tenure, excellent recent performance, or something along those lines to kind of help weed through. Um, low fees is another example to help weed through the long list of actively managed strategies. So then what's the difference, Nick, between a fund that or a strategy that we consider a prospect and a fund that we then have full analyst coverage under? Sure. So prospects don't receive full analyst coverage, which means they're perhaps updated slightly less regularly and they, uh, there's, there's less due diligence done upon them just because there might be some unanswered questions. So with a full Morningstar analyst rating, that is an indication of how the manager research team expects a strategy to do over future market cycles after fees compared to its competitors and its category or relevant benchmark. Um, and a prospect may not receive full coverage because analysts still have outstanding questions on the merits of the strategy. For example, perhaps uh, a manager who had led it for a long time just departed, and we're not sure just how well that the, the new managers will be able to do without him. So a prospect is a, a strategy usually that the manager research team still has some questions around. So then we recently have four prospects that did what we call graduate and came under full analyst coverage. So let's talk a little bit about some of those strategies today. Um, the first is Barron Global Advantage, which is a world stock fund. Tell us how, what this fund's new fund analyst rating is and what we think about it. So all share classes of this strategy receive a bronze rating. And just to remind folks, the Morningstar analyst rating differs now based on the fee of the share class in question. So sometimes a cheaper share class of a strategy will receive a higher rating because going back to my previous point, the Morningstar Analyst rating is our assessment of strategies after fees. But all share classes of this uh, strategy, Baron Global Advantage, receive a bronze rating, as you mentioned, which means we do expect some outperformance going forward. The, uh, the manager's aggressive growth approach has been buoyed by stylistic tailwinds, which gives us a little bit of pause, but at the same time, those tailwinds don't explain the performance that that strategy has seen uh, since its inception, even though 2022 has been off to a very rough start for this strategy as well as other aggressive growth strategies. 
the manager also has a very large team supporting him, which we always like to see. And there's, it seems to be a stable group of experienced people lending their hands. So overall, it's a, it's a promising strategy. So our, our next um, fund that's recently come under full coverage is J.P. Morgan International Hedge Equity. So what makes that fund tick and how do we rate that one? Sure. So that strategy's cheapest share classes receive uh, a silver rating, whereas more expensive share classes receive bronze and neutral ratings. And investors should always be conscious of the exact fee of the product they're purchasing before making the decision to do so. Um, but that aims to provide smoother equity returns uh, with a very straightforward option strategy that involves trying to mitigate dramatic swings uh, in, per in returns that might be caused by volatile equity markets like we've seen the past couple of weeks. That's a great example. It also, you know, it's led by a manager that has decades of experience and a support team we like. So overall, if investors are paying the right price for that strategy, we think it's a good one. Next up is MFS Midcap Value and its cheapest share classes earn a silver rating, fund analyst rating. What do we like about this graduate? Sure. So we really like the, the deep pool of MFS analysts. We, we have a positive opinion of other strategies provided by that firm. Um, this one focuses on companies with durable business models, but it also takes what they consider to be a more opportunistic approach than some other uh, MFS strategies. So they might be hunting for companies um, that have specific catalysts on the horizon or companies that are consolidating within their industry and adding market share that way to an extent that other MFS strategies might not. It's also, um, interestingly, one of the largest mid-cap value strategies that is actively managed. So we're not the only ones that see uh, merit there. And then lastly, there's parametric volatility risk premium defensive. So what do we like here and what's its fund analyst rating? Sure. So this is another pretty straightforward option selling strategy. They, they sell options to generate income and to potentially mitigate the risk that you might uh, expect over the course of a regular equity market cycle. And it will, as, as will, will most volatility selling strategies, it will potentially not do well in volatile periods like we've seen over the last couple of weeks. But you know, the, the strategy they employ of diversifying the, uh, the contract length as well as the um, the frequency of them allows them to recover quickly and not completely blow up when vol expands like we've seen the last couple of weeks. So that's that's a promising strategy as well. So Nick, what's the rating then on that one? That one's only share class receives a Morningstar analyst rating of bronze. Well, Nick, thank you for your time today and for sort of walking us through some of these new fund analyst ratings on these funds that have recently graduated to full coverage. We appreciate your time. Absolutely, Susan. Thank you for having me. I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Now, Ben Johnson from Morningstar Research Services discusses which ETF should be in your IRA. I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. It's IRA season. We have until April 18th to contribute to an IRA if we want the contribution to count towards 2021. Joining me today to share a few exchange-traded funds that are good picks for an IRA is Ben Johnson. Ben is Morningstar's Global Director of ETF Research. Hi, Ben. Nice to see you today. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me. 
So let's talk a little bit first about why an investor would want to put an ETF in an IRA, considering that ETFs are often thought of as pretty tax-efficient vehicles in and of themselves. Well, it's a terrific question, Susan. And and I I think it's important to understand that if you as an investor have arrived at the point in sort of your tax location strategy, your, your tax optimization strategy, where you're mulling putting ETFs into an IRA, you've done a lot of the heavy lifting already, that there are any number of different steps that you've probably already taken to make sure that you're paying as few pennies in taxes on your investments uh, as you possibly can. So if there are opportunities to locate ETFs, which to your point, tend to be far more tax efficient than mutual funds, in a tax-deferred wrapper, it is largely going to be a strategy where you're trying to shield some of the income that they might be throwing off from regular taxation, given that ETFs in the majority tend not to pay out any taxable capital gains distributions. And if they do, they tend to be much smaller than what we see, certainly in recent years, being spun off of open-ended mutual funds. So um, you brought three ideas with you today to to share with investors. Um, Your first one is Schwab U.S. Tips ETF, which focuses on treasury inflation protected securities. Uh, Seems like a timely idea. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why you think this is a a good idea for for an IRA, who it might be best for, and, and why today? Well, first and foremost, SCHP boasts many of the same benefits that we tout for any broadly diversified, low-cost ETF that represents the investment opportunity set in its particular corner of the market and is backed by a solid parent. So SCHP ticks all of those boxes. Broad diversification sweeps in the entirety of the U.S. Treasury inflation-protected securities market. It does so for a very low fee, charging just 0.05% per annum. It's got the backing of Charles Schwab. The team that manages the portfolio has done a terrific job of providing high fidelity tracking of that benchmark index. These are all winning traits, either inside or or outside of an IRA. Now, why now? Inflation is a timely topic. Certainly, we've seen it recently hit levels as high as it's been in many investors' lifetimes, uh, highest in in decades. So the way that tips work is that the the taxable component or a meaningful portion of the taxable income thrown off by this fund is likely going to come into the form of those inflation adjustments. And if those inflation adjustments are larger than the market might anticipate, you could see the tax profile of this portfolio shift pretty dramatically. Generally speaking, tips funds or kind of fence sitters when it comes to tax location. They might be just as well placed in a taxable account as a tax deferred one. But if you're worried about inflation and and potentially inflationary surprises, it might be time to to take a look at putting a tips fund like SCHP in a tax deferred setting. So Ben, your, your second idea is Fidelity High Dividend ETF. And that invests in high yielding stocks. So again, seems like to be a a very good fit for an IRA. Uh, What do we like in particular about this ETF and why now? 
Well, what we like about Fidelity High Dividend is its unique approach to building a portfolio of stocks that are paying above average dividend yields that balances current income with a, a bit of risk mitigation. So it looks on a sector by sector basis at the highest yielding stocks within a particular sector. So it's, it's immediately focused on, on current income. But what we know about reaching for yield is that it courts risk. So to help to try to mitigate that risk, first and foremost, it's looking at yield on a sector by sector basis. So it's not pulling the portfolio in the direction of any given sector that might, for whatever reason, be sporting above average yields or persistently have higher than average yields, a sector like real estate, for example. The second measure that it takes is it looks at the stocks within that particular sector that have the lowest coverage ratios that are going to, in all likelihood, be least able to continue to support their current dividend payouts and it eliminates those from the portfolios. So what you get is a sector neutral approach, an approach that screens out dividends that might be at risk. It's got a very low fee, a sensible strategy, uh, and again, a, a solid parent, which as I alluded to before, are three great traits that we look for in all of the ETFs that we choose to rate. This particular fund carries Morningstar analyst rating of silver. So to your second question on, on the why now, this might be an ETF that investors would consider parking in a tax-deferred account to shield that yield. So its current yield is around 2.7%, which is more than double the current dividend yield on the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index ETF, VTI. Now, granted, dividends are taxed at lower rates than regular income might be, uh, but to take it back to my initial comments, if, if you're really looking to eke out uh, every last red cent of tax efficiency that you can to protect every last penny from the tax man, uh, you may want to consider putting FDVV in a tax deferred account. And then, Ben, your last pick today is um, Vanguard Real Estate ETF, which, again, another strategy that throws off some income, seems like a good fit for an IRA Tell us a little bit about that ETF in particular. So at the risk of sounding like a, a broken record, Susan, gold-rated Vanguard real estate fund boasts broad diversification, covering the entirety of the opportunity set within the real estate sector, not inclusive of just REITs, but also non-traditional real estate categories like timber and towers as well. And because it has a healthy slug of REITs in the mix, and because of the way that REITs have to manage their income streams, throwing them back out the door to investors as a pass-through, that income is taxed at a higher rate than qualified dividend income. And it's coming out at a yield right now that is around 2.5%. So this is another play where if you're going to consider putting this fund, which we think is a solid option for exposure to the U.S. real estate sector, uh, you're putting it in a tax-deferred account chiefly as a means of shielding that yield from the tax man. Well, Ben, thank you for your time today and for these ideas for an IRA this year. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Susan. I'm Susan Javinsky with Morningstar. Thank you for tuning in. Next, Christine Benz from Morningstar Inc. shares her financial tips for February. Hi, I'm Susan Javinsky with Morningstar. 
The year 2022 has gotten off to a volatile start for investors. Joining me to share some practical and constructive steps that you can take to gain a sense of control in an unpredictable market is Christine Benz. Christine's Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning. Hi, Christine. Good to see you. Hi, Susan. Great to see you. So every year, you lay out a year's worth of a financial to-do list that takes us month by month. And for the month of February, one of the things on our to-do list is to conduct a review of our investments. And that seems especially timely this year, given the backdrop of the market volatility we've been experiencing. So how should investors be thinking about this review this year? Well, I think it's important to take a look because as investors, are, oftentimes our natural tendency is to be a little bit inert, that we tend to, to not want to make changes. We tr tend to want to leave well enough alone. And oftentimes that's a really good strategy, but I think the net effect of that is that over time, our portfolios do get a little bit more aggressive, and that might not, not necessarily be the direction that we want them to be going in. So the starting point of this is to get a sense of your portfolio's total asset allocation today. I would urge people to use our x-ray functionality, which they can either access through our portfolio manager tool or through instant x-ray, just to get their arms around all of their accounts together that they have earmarked for a given goal to see what that asset allocation looks like today. Use that as the starting point for the process. And then how can an investor figure out that maybe a change or, or some sort of shift is, is in order? I think it's very situation and life stage specific. So for younger investors, they absolutely should be standing pat with equity heavy portfolios, at least for their retirement assets. I think that the areas that they may want to take a look at would be more in the realm of how their portfolios are positioned style box wise. So for example, do they have too much in the growth column of the style box? They would also want to look at the geographic exposure of their portfolios. Are they globally diversified? Do they have an, enough non-US exposure? And then it's also a good bet that younger investors who are many years from retirement still have some nearer term goals, some nearer term, th term things that they'd like to do with their money. So certainly they should look at de-risking that portion of their assets that they expect to use in the shorter term, whether for a home down payment or for the college fund, whatever it might be, consider de-risking that portion of the portfolio. For people getting closer to retirement, there I think de-risking is more mission critical because many investors have been comfortable with their equity exposure. They've had great results from the equity market for a really long time now. And so they may have been disinclined to get in and peel back from stocks and potentially increase their fixed income exposure. But I like the idea of uh, people who are embarking on retirement having roughly 10 years worth of assets set aside in cash and in bonds. And that way they could effectively have an asset mix that they could spend through if they needed to, if, if a bad equity market occurred early on in their retirements, they could tap the safe stuff first and leave the equity exposure alone. So take a look at that. If you're someone who's in that zone of approaching retirement or already retired, look at your share of safer assets, your share of liquid reserves. Now, another uh, to do for investors in February is to start thinking about taxes. You know, tax season's going to be here before we know it. 
the tax filing deadline is as of right now, April 18th. Um, what should people be doing to get the ball rolling now? Well, I think it's good to have a plan for these documents, which are starting to come in. So W-2s, if you're if you're earning an income through payroll, uh, 1099s, investors are getting these 1099s in their email boxes. Some of them are still getting the, the physical mail. So just make sure that you have a place where you are storing those documents um, and, and filing them away or getting them ready for tax season. So now speaking of those documents, Christine, you know, you, many of us, me included, um, you know, print out and file those documents and just have them ready to send off to the accountant to do our taxes. But you say that we should take a minute and actually review these documents because there's a lot of useful information on them. So walk us, walk us through some of that. There really is. In fact, I think sometimes this tax season, it's a pain, but it's sort of an underutilized opportunity to do some bigger picture thinking about the health of your plan. So for example, if you've gotten your W-2 recently and you also were lucky enough to get a raise last year, look at whether you are funding your 401k to the maximum extent that you can swing. Look at your health savings account contributions. If you're able to make an HSA and you're covered by a qualifying high deductible Healthcare plan, are you taking advantage of those HSA contributions to the extent that you possibly can? With the 1099s, I think there are some valuable intelligence to be gathered from them as well. So, for example, if you are receiving um, sizable income distributions from some of your holdings and you have them within your taxable account, that's a flag for suboptimal asset location. Ideally, to the extent that you have high income holdings, and really there's not a lot of income these days, but if you have anything that's kicking off a lot of ordinary income, you'd want to have that housed within your tax sheltered accounts. If you have holdings, mutual fund holdings that have made big capital gains distributions, for example, that's another place to look at whether perhaps you can reposition that account so that you're holding more tax efficient holdings like exchange traded funds, for example. So spend a little bit of time doing some big picture thinking about how you might actually improve your plan in the future rather than just sort of copying the numbers onto your tax return or into TurboTax or whatever mechanism you use for filing your taxes. Well, Christine, thank you for your time today and for walking us through some financial to-dos for February. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm Susan Javinsky with Morningstar. Thank you for tuning in. Lastly, here is David Harrell from Morningstar Investment Management with Dave Sakara from Morningstar Research Services. Now, um, I believe on January 4th, you wrote a piece for Morningstar.com, and you noted that the equity market overall is somewhat overvalued, mm-hmm. uh, but you believe there was more opportunity in value stocks than growth stocks in 2022. Now, given that many mature dividend-paying companies land in that value column of the Morningstar style box, um, do you think dividend dividend payers in general uh, should have good relative performance in 2022? Well, and again, it breaks it really down to the individual companies and right. their fundamental performance. But yes, we do think that value stocks are going to have good economic tailwinds behind them this year. We do see a lot of you know, undervalued opportunities for investors you know, in that space, both for you know, high dividend paying stocks as well as for stocks that don't pay dividends. Okay. Okay. 
And in that report, uh, you, you wrote about energy, mm -hmm. and that's a sector that had a very strong performance in 2021. And at the beginning of the year, it was actually the most undervalued mm -hmm. sector. Uh, this is also a sector where we see a number of higher yielding dividend payers. So what's your thoughts on the prospects for energy stocks in 2022? Yes, there's a lot of very good, you know, high quality dividend paying stocks in the energy sector. And really, this is also a good opportunity to just learn how to use Morningstar tools. So kind of in the energy sector, what I would do is I would go through, you know, pull out using different screening, you know, applications, you know, the energy sector, look for three, four, and five rates, uh, rated stocks. And then also, you know, take out those stocks that might have like very high uncertainty. You know, companies that maybe they're paying a good dividend today, but maybe more volatile in the future and could be those that you might, you know, consider that they might pull back on their dividends, you know, in a down cycle. Got it. From there, you can rank them, you know, from a, a price to fair value, and then also rank them by dividend. And that helps, I think, give investors, you know, a wide choice of different types of stocks, you know, within the sector that might fit within the constraints of their portfolios. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.